You're listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast about the world of writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find courses, resources and a wonderfully supportive writing community. I usually co-host this podcast each week with the very talented Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author extraordinaire. Her latest book is The Wolf's How, the second instalment in the Maven and Reeve mystery series, and it's available now through libraries, bookstores and online. But today, you're listening to one of our in-between episodes, where Alison is off on her authory adventures, and we listen to a story session, just you, me and our guest author of the week. This story session is brought to you by the book So You Want to Be a Writer, written by both Alison and myself. Do you want to write a novel or earn an income as a freelance writer? We give you the steps you need to make your dream a reality in the book So You Want to Be a Writer. This book lays out a blueprint to help you get started and thrive in the world of words. With advice from over 120 writers, you'll tap into proven wisdom and find the path that will lead you to success. Find out more at writercentercomau slash book. That's writercentercomau slash book. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that we've written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au forward slash book. But back to our story session where you'll hear directly from our featured author about their writing life and processes, along with the first chapter of their book. Think of it as your own private book reading where you get access to the brilliant tips and insider knowledge from some of today's best established and up-and-coming authors. This week, I've chosen Deception Creek by Fleur MacDonald. This is the latest novel from the very popular rural fiction author whose best-selling novels include Red Dust, Blue Skies, Purple Roads, Silver Clouds, Crimson Dawn, Emerald Springs, Indigo Storm, Sapphire Falls and many, many, many more. In fact, this is her 18th novel. We spoke to Fleur way back in episode two of this podcast when she had only published five books. It's really fascinating, actually, because that was at the beginning of the Australian rural fiction boom, and it has steadily increased in popularity since then. Here's the blurb for Fleur's latest novel, Deception Creek, so you can find out a little bit more about what the book is about. Emra Cameron, a recently divorced farmer and a local in Barker, runs Deception Creek, the farm that three generations of her family have owned before her. Every day, Emma pushes herself hard on the land, hoping to make 10-year-old memories of a terrible car accident disappear. And now there are more recent nightmares of an ex-husband who refuses to understand how much the farm means to Emma. When Joel Hammond is released from jail and heads home to Barker, Detective Dave Burrows and Senior Constable Jack Higgins are on high alert. 
Joel has a long and sorry history with many of the townsfolk and they're not keen to see him home to stay. Not all of the Barker locals want to see Joel run out of town though. Some even harbour doubts about Joel's conviction. The town finds itself split down the middle, families pitted against each other with devastating outcomes. And before Fleur reads the prologue of her book, she answers a few quite thorny questions I put to her about the rural fiction genre. It's a genre which is often considered mostly romance, whereas Fleur's rural fiction tends to have strong suspense and police procedural elements. It's an interesting tension. I learned a lot from her answers, and I think you will too. So here is Fleur MacDonald and her latest novel, Deception Creek. Hello, I'm Fleur MacDonald and I'm the author of Deception Creek. Valerie has asked me to record the answers to some questions before I narrate the first chapter of Deception Creek. So, here goes. One, what inspired you to write this story? Well, you know, I think that that's a really hard question because there's never really one thing that actually inspires me, you know, to write. It's more likely I'll get an idea, I'll hear a new story, that makes me ask, what if? And if I get a what if question, then I have to answer it. So it's questions and the answers to those what ifs that actually pushes my idea into a storyline. The Deception Creek idea came from an article I read on how difficult it was for people who were being released from jail. With their history and convictions, they often found life and settling back into communities really, really difficult. One, because it was difficult to get a job, Two, because it was near impossible to afford or find accommodation, especially if you don't have a job. And then number three, the public's judgment of them. And to me, that was really sad. And I thought, you know, that I could see this hamster wheel effect, um, just being able to get on this hamster wheel and not being able to get off it. And it was something that I thought, oh, I don't know that we've really talked too much about that in books. So I'd like to highlight it. So with all that in mind, I created Joe Hammond. And he's a character that's recently released from jail and heading to the only place that he feels safe, and that's his home, which also happens to be Barker, the home of Detective Dave Burrows and Senior Constable Jack Higgins, my two staples uh, in most of my books. Country towns have long memories and can hold grudges for even longer, which is why some people welcome Joel home with open arms and some people don't. Exploring country towns and the idiosyncrasies are always fun. You've always got your Esme Watsons um, or, you know, the old gossips that are peering out the window or the, uh, you know, the quiet people that just get along with their business and the driven people that, you know, are the shire councillors or, you know, leading businessmen. And I think that that's why, you know, there's so many different personalities and I think that that just makes for a melting pot of emotions and therefore, you know, actions and what could possibly happen inside that country town. There's just so many stories to be told from rural areas and country towns. Emma Cameron is also a character in Deception Creek and she's a newly divorced farmer. She's dealing with the loneliness of grief and, uh, sorry, that she's dealing with loneliness after her um, marriage is broken up and the grief that her life didn't turn out the way that she thought it was going to. There's also this frightening new world of online dating 
Uh, and you'll see in the, if you read the book in the acknowledgements, I talk about how my kids helped me navigate the world of online dating for the research of this book, which uh, ensured plenty of interesting conversations, if not embarrassment, for my poor children. <laughs> um, so she is... Um, She's sort of dealing with all of that. And I guess anyone who has had a go at the world of online dating knows how fraught and or exciting it can be. So having um, having been through many of those emotions myself, you know, the loneliness and the grief that life hasn't gone according to plan, in particular, I, I sort of, or to my plan, I suppose, I knew those emotions and could use them in Emma and put uh, her in many of those circumstances Uh, and and write about them with a great deal of authority. I'm sure Detective Dave Burrows and Senior Constable Jack Higgins sometimes think they've landed in the Australian version of Midsummer with everything that happens in and around Barker. But at the end of the day, they're peacekeepers and that's what they have to do throughout this book. Uh, So question number two is, can you describe your writing process? Well, yes, I can. It's manic. That's the only way I can describe my writing process. Uh, Anyway, uh, it's one of those things where writing two books a year just doesn't leave a lot of time for the muse to strike, so, you know, I have to get on with it. Uh, I often write for four or five chapters and then go back and edit, uh, edit them before starting on the next section. I don't plan because I want the reader to get to the end of the book and say, wow, I just didn't see that coming. And I have thought that if I know what's going to happen, then the reader um, might. So if I, if I don't know what's going to happen until I write it, then hopefully the reader won't work out what's going to happen either. Uh, so question number three. Your earlier books had romantic elements, but the later ones are more rural su- suspense. What role does romance play in your more recent books? Hmm. Well, that's a very interesting question because I know my books have always been touted as having a romantic element, but I've never really thought about them like that. For me, uh, it's the crime and the mystery parts is what I've always concentrated on and what I really enjoy writing. Every one of my books have either had a mystery or a crime. So as far as the romance in later books goes, well, I don't knowingly go down that path. Past experiences for me make me a non-believer in romance, but that doesn't mean people can't have loving and healthy relationships. I guess that's what more—that's more what I uh, focus on in the books rather than the new heady days of a brand new relationship. But again, that's not my main focus. It's a byproduct of the mystery and the crime that I'm writing about. So I think romance has its place, um, or relationships have their place in my books, but they're not, for me, they are not the be-all and the end-all. So question number four is, there are ongoing relationships in your police procedural books. How much of a draw for readers are they? Uh, Well, that's another interesting question. Um, The ongoing relationships, I guess, are, you know, Dave and Kim and Jack and Zara, and uh, you see a lot of them through throughout the, these present-day books, which are published in December. Um, the ongoing relationships in the early Dave Burrow series are the ones between Dave and his partners. So first off, Spencer Brown, and more recently, Bob Holden. Uh, and then, of course, there's his estranged wife, Mel, uh, who features a little bit in the first five books of that series. 
So they're, they're important because they create Dave to who he is. They, those, they make, they make Dave who he is in these present day years. And I'm not really sure how much of a draw they are for the, for the reader, but I guess the police procedures actually are. Um, I think the, the police procedures are real and they're re- authentic because I do a lot of research around these and I have a detective friend who used to head up the WA branch of the Stock Squad. So, you know, as a writer and a researcher, I couldn't get anything better of that. You know, he helps me with those relationships between uh, Dave and his partner and Dave and his um, his wife Melinda or ex-wife Melinda yeah he can tell me that I have got the police talking to each other the way that they would or them talking to the public like they would in real life and we've explored uh, a lot of police relationships police marital relationships over these books and you know he's seen many of his colleagues go through similar things to what we talk about in in all of these early Dave Burroughs books so it's pretty um it's very authentic, and I believe authenticity is what makes uh, books like these page turners. Uh, so I always try to achieve that, and hopefully it's the realness and the rawness that draws people in. Uh, question number five. The covers of your police stories are very similar to the rural romance covers, rather than crime. So how does your audience feel about that? Well, that's... Uh, forever an argument or a, a robust discussion that I'm having with Alan and Unlin because I get a lot of people saying they're surprised by the content of my books and sometimes the cover don't do the stories justice. There's a lot of blokes who read them but usually after their wives have gone, hey, honey, you're really going to like this book because it'll speak to you. Um, but they normally just wouldn't pick them up because of the cover. Um and then there's the young lads from boarding school. I had one mum talk to me the other day saying that her son loved reading my books because they were things he understood and he knew and you know, the farming side of things. And he loved them, but he couldn't sit down and read them in front of his mates without you know, being paid out on. So he's come up with an idea where he actually puts covers over the top of them, of the real covers, so no one can see what he's reading, which you know is a little bit sad, but... I understand why they do that. But all of this is about branding and making sure people know that they can easily recognise a Fleur McDonald book. And these covers have always worked really well, right back from when Red Dust first came out, and that cover was was an absolute groundbreaking cover, the Red Dust cover. There had never been a cover like that in Australian uh, publishing before. So, you know, these covers have worked well and now people know what a Fleur McDonald uh, book looks like. So in the, in the business of publishing, there has to be some give and take and those covers are, the, are a part of a give and take section. Uh, question number six is, your books are positioned by the covers as women's fiction but your main police character is male. How does that work for your re- readers and are they surprised? Again, that's a really good question because I have never thought about that before. So I guess we all just get a lot of love for Detective Dave, so all I can think is it works for the readers. Again, going back to my detective friend in Perth, uh, the reason I can write from a male's point of view is because I have a male point of view talking to me and answering my questions. Uh, So I guess I'm not doing it alone. 
Um, but yeah, I think I guess it's just that everybody loves Dave Burrows, and so he does work for them. Question number seven: uh, What are my top three tips for aspiring writers? So I thought a lot about this, and I actually only have two. The first one is to write in a journal every day. You want your head to be clear so it can be creative. And when you've got a heap of different things going on in your life, you know, you're running kids to sport or you're trying to get organised to go and do the shopping or you need to make an appointment to the, with the bank to remortgage your house or, or whatever, those everyday activities tend to clog your mind up and it's really hard to be creative. So if you get everything out onto the page, then it clears your mind. And when I write every morning, I find that all the jobs that I have to do that day will come to me. So I can write in my journal about all the things I need to do, but I've also got a list uh, next to me where I jot down the jobs that I have to do that day or later in the week. And that way I don't have to remember um, everything because it's written down and it totally leaves my mind open for creativity to come in. So the second one it may suit some people, it may not, but it certainly works for me. And I, so I do a quick, um, you know, couple to five minutes worth of meditation before I start to write. Again, it's one of those things that completely clears your brain and allows you to focus on words and character development and the plot. It also allows you to access your subconsciousness. And I believe that when I'm in my subconscious, that's when I write best. Sometimes I read back over things that I have written and think, I don't even remember writing that. Did I actually write that? And it has to have been me because nobody else does it. But that's a great feeling because when I'm in my subconscious, I'm living in amongst the story and amongst the pages and amongst all of the characters. And, you know, to do that, that's when you can access your characters and the plot to its absolute best and yeah, again, just for me, meditation meditation does that. So now I'm going to narrate the first chapter of my book, and it's actually not the first chapter, it's going to be the prologue. And uh, so this is from Deception Creek. And it's the first, the prologue is set in 2011. I've told you, Alice, I haven't touched anything. What can I do to make you believe me? Kyle's voice was pleading as he looked at his wife, but she wouldn't return his gaze. Her arms were crossed tightly across her chest as they stared out the window at the Mount Gambier country. The paddocks of tall grass rippling in the wind were passing at 110 kilometres an hour. Alice? This time she looked at him, her eyes, her blue eyes flat and cold, no trace of their usual sparkle. Kyle drew a breath and remembered the words from his mother. Never get between a sharp and their money, son. There's some truth in their last name. You've been skimming money from the bank accounts, Alice snapped. Dad told me all about it. At a glance, Kyle could see heat flooding her cheeks. She was fuming and he knew he had two options. He could deny all knowledge calmly and quietly or he could get angry. Look in my briefcase. The statements are there along with all the reconciliations. There is nothing amiss. Oliver has got this wrong. His words were firm and quiet, but anger pulsed through him as he said his father-in-law's name. Oliver Sharp was an interfering, obnoxious man who thought he knew better than everybody else about everything, and Kyle didn't like 
or trust him one bit. He had only ever seen the old man's aggression aimed at others, but now here it was, coming at him. He shouldn't have been surprised. I don't believe you. Dad doesn't make mistakes like this. She shifted in her seat and looked straight at him. A hundred grand in six months, the whole time we have been married. As a senior accounts officer, I'd like to think I don't make mistakes either. If you believe him, Kyle snapped, pushing his foot down on the accelerator, why are you here with me going to the accountant? There must be some doubt in your mind. He rearranged his face and softened his voice with difficulty. I hope there's doubt in your mind. After all, I am your husband. I'd like to think you trust me. The hurt was real. Do you think I want this to be true? Her voice held an edge of accusation while her long fingernails tapped on the edge of the window. I don't want to go to the accountant. I want to hear that all this has been a misunderstanding. I want to go home and I want things to be the way they were when I first brought you into this business. She paused. The trouble is, I don't see how that's going to happen. Gripping the steering wheel tighter, Kyle could see all his hard work, the long hours on the tractor, the countless times he'd bitten his tongue to get on Oliver's good side, being snatched away by the opinion of a person he didn't even know. The accountant was paid by Oliver, instructed by Oliver. If he wanted Kyle out of the business, that's exactly what would happen. Everything was going wrong. His whole life was coming to a grinding halt over a stupid misunderstanding. Kyle, slow down. What? Alice's voice broke through the waves of anger that were overtaking Kyle's mind. You're going too fast. Look. His wife nodded frantically towards the speedo. He looked down. 120. Lifting his foot slightly, the ute slowed. Kyle dragged in a breath. Look, Alice. No, Kyle, I don't want to talk about it. She held up her hand in a stop sign. I want to get to Foster and Foster and see what Hannah has to tell me. Oh, yeah. And what about what I want? I'm your husband. Don't I get a say in any of this? The red-hot, angry words shot out of him before he could stop them. I don't think you're in a position to have a say. His knuckles were white. This wasn't how it was supposed to go. Glancing in the rearview mirror, he saw a vehicle coming up behind them. The indicator was on as if they were going to overtake. His eyes flicked back to the landscape in front. Large, fat-lined, fat-trunk trees lined the road, leading to the corner not far ahead. The morning was foggy and the dew was glistening in the pale light as the sun tried to force its rays from the heavy, heavy lead-grey clouds. A white Nissan X-Trail pulled out. Really? There was no way the driver should be passing on this stretch of road. Kyle's instinct was to lift his foot from the accelerator, but he didn't. Instead, he pushed it down and harder and felt the ute jump away as the turbo kicked in. What are you doing now? Alice's tone was a mix of exasperation and angst. This bloke needs a lesson on how to drive. Kyle, don't! Clearly, the driver realised there was a problem because he had pulled back in behind Kyle. Shouldn't try to pass when you can't see what's coming up front, idiot, he muttered. On the wide, sweeping bend was a large tree, and around the corner, Kyle knew the road opened up into a long stretch of bitumen, where the guy behind would be able to pass. He pushed his foot down a bit harder. Stop it. Slow down. Please, Kyle. There was fear in his wife's voice. Don't be stupid. 
He ignored her, and his eyes flicking between the road ahead and the ute behind them. The Nissan was still in the left lane. Good. He took a couple of breaths. This is crazy, Alice said softly. Come on, slow down. How about you grab all the information from the back seat and have a look at it, Alice? You'll see for yourself then. Lifting his foot, the vehicle slowed. Alice cast a worried look at him. Okay. She twisted around in the seat and reached behind her. Every cent is accounted for. He watched her in the mirror as she did as he had asked. Not able to reach, Alice undid her seatbelt, grabbed the paperwork and sat back down in one quick, fluid motion. You'll see now, Kyle said, the word coming from him more loudly than he intended. It's not a matter of what I think, she said tightly as she studied the reconciliations. If Dad has found something amiss, but I haven't stolen anything. He banged his his fist on the steering wheel hard and the ute jumped away as he pushed his foot down once more. I haven't. His face was warm with anger that was radiating through him and his fist throbbed a little from hitting the wheel. She looked up from the printed pages. Kyle! What? The words snapped out of him. The corner! It's... His wife reached out to yank his arm but didn't connect because with one quick movement, Kyle had pulled the steering wheel to the left, throwing the ute to the side. A wheel hit the pothole, and the vehicle bounced, throwing them together. Alice's arm bounced off Kyle's as he held the wheel. A loud, high-pitched shriek emerged from Alice, just as the left-hand side nose of the ute hit the gum tree. Glass shattered and metal tore. When Kyle's head hit the steering wheel, He couldn't hear Alice's screams anymore. That's the prologue from Deception Creek. What a tense beginning. Not quite heroines on horses and muscly men on tractors. The Australian rural fiction genre is really broad and Fleur is a powerhouse in the scene. This is definitely going to be another bestseller. And if you've always dreamed about writing your own best-selling novel, now is the perfect time to dust off your manuscript and enrol in our next course in Novel Writing Essentials, just like published author Ingrid Alexandra. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our course, Novel Writing Essentials. Whether you've already started your opening chapters or just have a story idea, this eight-week online course will help you shape the beginning of your novel through weekly lessons and workshopping in a supportive environment with your very own tutor. Here's what Ingrid Alexandra says. What prompted me to take the course was that ultimately, my ultimate goal was to be published and I knew from feedback that I could write that I was on the right track, but I couldn't seem to get past a certain point with with publishers. So I decided to to take a course and the Australian Writers' Centre has some very reputable courses and some authors have definitely come out the other side with publishing deals and so that was obviously very encouraging. Definitely one of the most useful things I got out of the course was uh, meeting other authors and being able to brainstorm, being able to network and because writing can be quite an isolating career so finding other like-minded people was pretty amazing. I learned to reflect on my work critically. It's had a positive impact because it's basically it's changed the way that I that I approach writing and I definitely wouldn't be as far along as I am in my publishing career. Ultimately I think writing is a craft, it can be taught. Some people might be lucky enough to be born with a, a natural gift but like anything, like any ability, you need to 
to hone it and to work on it to perfect it. And I'm now pleased to say I'm a published author. I highly recommend taking a course at the Australian Writers' Centre, no matter what stage of uh, your career you're at. Whether you just want to get that book finished that's been sitting there for ages, that you've been working on for years, or whether your ultimate goal is to get published. Very helpful for me, as you can see by the outcome. To get your manuscript off to the best possible start, go to writerscentre.com.au slash novel essentials. Thanks for listening to this special episode of So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find more details about the podcast and a wealth of writing resources and courses at writerscentre.com.au. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre. Connect with us on social media at writerscentreau, on Twitter and Instagram, and join our free podcast listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Both Alison and I will be back to our regular programming in your next episode. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time.